Welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast, hosted by Jason Barbato. Hi, this is Marissa Callie. We're back with another episode of Soccer Geeks. Hi, Jason. Welcome. Marissa, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, it's middle of the week. Uh, you know, we this won't get released for a while, but uh, it's just a busy week and I'm super happy to be busy. Um, I know there's a lot of people that are not able to uh, be so busy in their work and, you know, provide impact in different ways. So I'm happy. How about you? How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Obviously, every time we record the show, I'm very excited about the conversations that we're about to have. So there's that mixture of kind of nervous energy and just mm -hmm. fanboydom, you know, that kind of is bustling <laughs> in my heart because uh, yes. I get so excited about the wonderful guests that we book on our show. And so um, I would love for you to introduce who we're going to be chatting with today. Sure. Yeah, we are going to have Glenn Crooks. Um, he is affiliated with NYCFC, has a long history in the U.S. soccer landscape, and we're going to get some insight into his um, background in coaching and also maybe touch in how the um, soccer landscape has changed over even the last couple of years. So yeah. um, we're happy to have him. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm super pumped. You know, he is such a wealth of knowledge and is such a skillful uh, interviewer uh, with just the, the level of insightful questions that he asks. And I know that uh, the folks that listen to our podcast are going to they're getting, you know, get your pens out, folks. You're going to get ready to go to class mm -hmm. with uh, Professor <laughs> Glenn Crooks today. So it's going to be a wonderful yes. lesson for all of us. I'm looking forward to the conversation as always. Yeah. And with that said, let's bring him up and I will head backstage. I'll come right back when you guys are ready to wrap up. So enjoy the Thanks conversation. So Thanks, Marissa. Glenn, Bye. New Jersey's born, bred and raised and very own. Welcome to the show here on Soccer Geeks Podcast. We're very excited to have you, sir. Thank you, Jason. I, I heard you talk about the wonderful guests. So am I the most wonderful guest you've had? Is that it? You know, if I start putting people on levels, I just gets me in a lot of trouble. Uh, that's, that's, I'm just trying you know. to get you in trouble right off the start. No, it's good. Uh, let me just say you you have probably the largest national audience of anybody I've had on so far. Is that fair? Right. Well, um, that's, that uh, it's uh, it's been an interesting ride, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you and, and, and talk about some of these things. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that's just so dynamic about you is you wear a lot of hats. You know, you are the head coach of the Rutgers University women's uh, soccer program. Uh, you, one of the places where I was introduced to you, you host um, on Sirius XM FC channel 157, the coach's corner, uh, which I have I have just gleaned so much information from. As Marissa said, you're also the voice of uh, NYCFC of the broadcast team there. And then you also write articles uh, every so often with Pro Soccer USA. Do you do you love soccer, Glenn? <laughs> I do. And but I love yeah. sports. So I'm yeah. I'm I'm a sports guy. Now I spend okay. so much of my time on soccer, I don't get to really watch the other sports maybe as thoroughly as I would like. Like for instance, I got home from the uh, coaches convention in Kansas City yep. and it was Sunday. And there were two NFL playoff games on. I was just exhausted. I just yeah. put my feet up. I was the only one home. And I watched these games. My son was out of town and we were texting throughout because they were unbelievable games. Yes. I, was, I was like thrilled to watch these games. And uh, I'm a sports fan, but uh, I've been uh, turned on by soccer for quite a, quite a few years. 
Absolutely. Can you, what was it for you, um, you know, growing up in just your background, what, what was it for you that really uh, drew you in about soccer? You know, was it something that uh, you grew up playing and so it just kind of one door open and here's another, you know, was there really a, the, the passion side of it that, you know, you really want to pursue something you really connected with and loved or what was it that really rooted you? And, you know, from a career standpoint, a family standpoint, your influence on other standpoint, um, what was it about the game for you that really drew you? Well, I'm a lot older than you, Jason. So when I'm eight, nine and 10 years old, there's no soccer. There's no soccer yeah. in my town. There's no soccer. So I was a big baseball fan, still am a Yankees fan, and my father would take me to Yankees games, and that was the thrill for me. And as a kid, I, I wanted to play second base for the New York Yankees. And uh, along the way, uh, uh, a German gentleman moved into town, and then uh, a guy who became my great best friend and uh, his dad, uh, they formed this Somerset Hill Soccer Club in Basking Ridge, New Jersey, and we started playing. But the first thing I, the first time I remember being crazed about the game, just like, whoa, was uh, Mr. Reichenbach, his name was. Uh, and he, uh, he put a carload of us into, uh, in, into New York City, Madison Square Garden, the Felt Forum, it was called, where there were a lot of boxing matches, but they had a closed circuit telecast of the FA Cup final. This is the mid 70s. And it, it was just, you know, just to see it that big. And, and that's the only way you saw games then. This was closed circuit. You know, there, it yeah. wasn't like you could go home and turn on, you know, NBC Sports and, and watch the game. No, man. And uh, it was large. And what they were doing in the air, the air game, and, and how quick everything was, it was just like, whoa. I, I, you know, and that was, that was the moment that really where it started to take off. I started to play. And, um, you know, from then on, I just uh, kept growing with the game. Yeah, it kind of took you where it took you. You know, for myself, I didn't grow up playing soccer. You know, I grew up uh, playing kind of quote unquote all the traditional American sports as well. Um, and I had a buddy that I had worked with who was from Seattle. Uh, and, uh, you know, he kind of taught me how to watch a soccer game. You know, uh, when you're coming from other American sports and then you watch soccer, you kind of don't know what you're really watching. You're just looking for action right? So it's yeah. relatively low scoring. And, you know, the way that he described it was, you know, most other sports are like checkers, but uh, soccer is really like living chess. It's watching competing philosophies in real time. And you have to kind of be, you have to learn kind of how to watch it, how to understand it and to really appreciate it. And then, you know, he was from Seattle. So he ended up taking me to a game up at CenturyLink Field. And, you know, it was it was one of the most magical, romantic, you know, uh, sporting experiences, I think, of my life. And it just had absolutely, you know, converted me, if you will, from a sporting sense. Um, so there's something really romantic about the game. I think that um, that everybody who falls in love with soccer kind of has has that experience and, and should at some point in time. Um, how how long have you you've been coaching at Rutgers University for quite a long time, as I understand it, correct? Well, I'm I'm the former coach. I retired a few years back. So, okay, fair uh, enough. I was okay. there 14 years, 25 okay. years coaching D1, uh, all on the women's side, and uh, have coached club of uh, since 1980, uh, and uh, currently at the Players Development Academy PDA here in Jersey, and okay. I uh, ODP and. A lot of different experiences uh, on the, you know, on the sideline as a coach, and and most, and I didn't play in college because I, I did go to college for broadcasting, 
And I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen with that, but I got a job right out of college where I was just a, a sports director for a local radio station here in Jersey. And, but from that point, uh, I, I started, I was still playing indoor and, you know, I, I loved the game. Uh, and I uh, fell upon a, a councilman in town who said, Hey, you should coach the, uh, the new girl soccer team at Ridge high. And I was like, well, I, you know, okay, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not well schooled in coaching, you know. But I had, sure. I was coaching his son on the club level, and I, I really didn't know a lot of what I was doing. I just, I understood the game. I loved the game, so we tried to do our best. And eventually, I took over the Ridge High Girls Soccer Team. Their most famous alum is uh, Tobin Heath from the okay. U.S. Women's National Team, and uh, pretty famous alum, by the way. Yeah, who. Yeah. Who I got to train a little bit at PDA and then also with the Olympic Development Program in Jersey. I've, I've had some um, great players to coach and, you know, you learn a lot from players. So that's, uh, you know, that's a lot of what what happened to me along the way. And uh, so I've, I've been coaching since 1980 and uh, didn't didn't have the big playing background. And I think sometimes yeah. there's advantages to that. And uh, I've just educated myself and watched other people. You know, so I've learned a lot along the way and still continue to learn. Yeah. And that's something, you know, that I'd love to be able to kind of touch on a little bit. I'd love to kind of get since you you were you were involved during a lot of very formative years, particularly on the women's game in the country, uh, on that national team level, being involved with the, the DA and ODP and, and these different programs. Um, are you are you bullish or bearish on the direction of just how the academy program is set up in the country right now? I think there's, there's an enormous amount of really good people, excellent coaches who have the players best, you know, in mind, you know, they, 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 they truly um, want what's best for the players at whatever level it is. I, I just think that, you know, the biggest issue, and it's, it's certainly not a, a, a unique discussion point is just, all the different avenues and trying to figure it out and competing avenues at the same time. Uh, I'm not one where I say you have to, everybody's got to play the same way, you know, where everybody across the country has to have an exact same methodology. So when we, you know, get to the level of the U S men's national team or the U S women's national team, we know how to play that American system. Now, I think uh, I agree with Eric Winalda here a little bit, you know, who, uh, who spoke at the convention. I, I had him on my program and, and he talks about simplifying things, but also focusing on the individual and the player uh, in terms of development and in terms of elite players as well. So I just think uh, I think it's 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 OK for people to do it differently. But the intention should be we need to develop passion in our players. We need to make it fun, whether you're it's grassroots or professional. And uh, I, I think those two things uh you know, uh, contribute to development maybe more than anything else. Do you think that focusing on a system uh, actually holds the program back instead of just developing, developing a, a developing players or using the best available players or and or trying to find a system? I mean, are within, we are we are we trying a club to do? Team, you mean or you mean a club I team mean, or what do you mean? Well, we can talk about let, let's talk, okay, cool. We'll take that from a club standpoint. You know, one of the things that I've noticed and I see a lot is there are. There are some clubs or coaches, right, that really love to develop players. Uh, there are other clubs, typically bigger clubs and communities, right, that recruit and then manage the talent. They polish a little bit here. Yeah. Um, 
do you think both are really necessary in the space? Do you think one that s- serves serves the game uh, in a broad sense or serves the player in a better sense there? Well, I'm not a proponent of active recruiting. You know, I've heard the stories of you know, one coach playing against another team and they're in the parking lot after the game talking to somebody on the other team and their parents. I mean, forget that. That's dismal. Yeah. You know, that's not yeah. development either. You know, that's happens uh, every weekend, by the way. I wouldn't. Huh? Yeah. Well, it happens every weekend. And if I'm a parent and kid and that coach is coming up to me after a game to talk about joining them, I'm saying thank you very much. You're not the kind of player person I want to play for because there's 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 something uh, kind of ugly about that. But people do it different ways. And if you want to go back to shape or system or, or, or what have you, I know a lot of clubs, 4-3-3, we're going to play 4-3-3 from our U-12s, you know, through our top team, our U-19s, whatever it might be. And they're trying to develop that along the way, you know, and I don't, and that happens on the professional level too, professional mm-hmm. club level with their academy program. So, you know, I, again, I'll say, you know, the way people go about it uh, is, is not, I'm not going to dispute it as long as there's a quality education, because I do think, and this is where I would uh, contest what Eric Winalda says sometimes, I think teaching is very, very important. His big thing is that the game is the teacher. Now, I think we all agree with that to a certain extent, but the coach is a teacher as well. And how you use words and how you describe things in training so that they translate into the game. That's just as vital. And so there's, there's a lot that goes into it. But I, I, really, I really think it, it comes down to, you know, uh, how you treat the people, uh, how you create the environment, which needs to be fun. But obviously you want to learn something, too. And that's where the teaching element comes in. Yeah, I've seen I've seen training sessions even for my own kids on opposite ends of the spectrum where, you know, the first five minutes they juggle and then they scrimmage for the rest of the time with no input from coaching staff. And I've seen other situations where, you know, every five minutes, it seems the coach is stopping practice and having a 10 minute conversation with the kids, you know, and, you know, 10 year old kids are bored out of their minds, you know, so I've seen, seen kind of both poles uh, that, that I just learned probably not very conducive, but, or productive, but I think it's good for clubs to have an identity. Uh, I think what, what becomes a challenge is where um, the identity of the club supersedes. Maybe you've got a player that, um, uh, for example, you know, especially dealing with youth soccer a lot, you know, the, the kids that hit puberty sooner, you know, or that are faster and stronger, those tend to be the ones that get pushed, whether the technical ability might not be there. Whereas you might have a player who's smaller, a little bit more undersized, but definitely more technical, higher soccer IQ, might not get a lot of those other development opportunities that the bigger, bigger, faster, stronger players are. And so I think as, you know, clubs and coaches, as long as they're kind of keenly aware, there's no real right or wrong way to do it. But when it is right, you know, it kind of feels right. When it's wrong, it seems to be pretty obvious. Well, I'm, um, five, foot, I'm five foot four, so I'm all in favor of giving the uh, the smaller players a chance. And fair enough, um, we no, got a I big think, voice, Glenn. I appreciate you know, it. I, I think it's a, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it's a huge, uh, huge thing for for us to think about is how many uh, kids, boys or girls, that might be eliminated early on in the process because they're not the most athletic or, or have the size necessary to win a game at the U10 level. I mean, that's, right. that's where it gets, you know, a little ridiculous, but I just use our own club PDA, you know, going back to systems. I mean, we're not directed to, to coach in any particular shape, you know, it's uh, you'll see some uh, coaches use four, three, three, others are playing three at the back. 
I think, you know, as you get, as you grow, you know, playing in different shapes becomes something that is, is necessary. It might be necessary for the tactics of the game. You know, you're down a goal, up a goal, you know, late game tactics, or just the, just understanding when you go on to the next level, which for most of these players is college. I mean, uh, high, high, you know, like over 90% of them, you know, it's college, it's not pro. And it's, you want to be able to have that kind of versatility and, and ability to, to change maybe even during the course of a game and playing multiple positions. You know, there's a lot of debate on that. You know, you're, you're, you're taking, um, uh, you're giving a, a kid, you're discrediting uh, a kid by putting them in four or five different positions, even though they might help the team in that, if they are developing for an elite level, you're, you're, right. you're almost, you're almost holding them back. That's one, that's one way to look at it. Then I look at a kid like James Sands for New York City FC and the fact that he is versatile, that he can play in the midfield and he can play at the back is why Greg Berhalter brought him in to the U.S. men's national team and why he was able to be on the field in a final uh, in the Gold Cup to beat Mexico. Right. So, or a guy like Tim Ream or a guy like like there's a having that versatility is really also having people who have very specific and are highly skilled in one specific role is good. But the versatility, especially at the younger ages, you know, if Eric, you know, I heard listen to the interview you had with Eric, but you know, if the game is the greatest teacher, um, then we have to help and allow kids the freedom to see the game played from many different perspectives on the field. And I know, you know, I've got, I can't tell you how many times, you know, my kid has played on teams where no parent wants their kid to play goalkeeper, you know, unless their kid is the goalkeeper, right? No one wants them to platoon, but it's really important for kids to know what's going on back there, what the center backs are doing, what the outside backs are doing. It's just good to teach them what the game looks like back there, especially if they're a forward sometimes and teaching kids to read, read the game from different angles, I think is really healthy. But there, there begins a time, right, where kids that kind of tapers off a little bit. Um, well, we I talked just, about. Just to, I want to yeah. one one area where the Let's game see. is the teacher that is something that's really important too is, is watching the game. You yeah. know, that's where I think. Um, you know, I've coached on the women's side for a, a bulk of my career. I've also coached boys and men, uh, but on the women's side, and it's uh, you know, this is not. I'm sure this won't offend anyone and it's just a particular statement. I know because of experience, but women in general tend not to watch a game. You know, just, they don't watch the game and they're not watching on the weekend. And my best example of that is when I was at Rutgers university, the men's coach asked me to uh, train the team on a, on a Monday and Tuesday, they were away. It was the winter. We were in this Rutgers bubble. So great. So I come in on a Monday and uh, the boys are first and then the girls are after men and women. And uh, I, I, I'm, the, the boys are, are getting ready, lacing up the boots. And, and all they're talking about is uh, the games on the weekend. And, you know, and a guy was up with a ball, you know, looking to you know, make a move that he saw on the weekend. OK, so that, that was when the men were coming in to train. When the women were coming in the train and they were lacing up their boots, this is my team, then uh, um, I'm listening to them. And they're talking about all their social activities for the weekend. Not one of them is talking about soccer or the game they saw on the weekend. And look, that's a, that's just that's a single example. And I think it's getting better. And at the convention, I interviewed Esmeralda Negron, who uh, is a friend of mine who I coached against at Rutgers, who is the co-founder of Ada Football. And their main... Uh, the, the main thing they're bringing uh, to the female player is games 
played by women. You know, NWSL, we see those games, but all these games in Europe, there's going to be 90,000 watching an El Clasico, Real Madrid against Barcelona in early March. And out of football is going to provide the broadcast for that. So these are things where uh, that's positive movement. That's part of development. That's part of passion. And we go back to that. You got to have passion. That's, that's what, that's what makes it ultimately. You got to be passionate about what you're doing, whether you're coaching or whether you're playing. Sorry, I had a little background noise there. Um, tell my wife to keep the kids quiet out there. My, my apologies. <laughs> Do you feel uh, my kids are know, out of the house? I have no pets. The best was I was doing an interview with this guy, uh, Ben Bartlett. He's Fulham Academy Academy guy. And I'm yeah. doing, doing it just like you and I are doing. And a cat just kept coming across his, uh, his in front of the stream and meow. <laughs> it was like, and I finally said, Ben. Life we, happens. We were laughing. Right. Life happens every day. You know, yeah. one of the things that I do, you know, I've got, I've got, I have two daughters, you know, one is 12. I have three daughters, two that play soccer. And my 14 year old, you know, is not interested in soccer whatsoever. So there's just no hope in ever getting her to sit down and watch, you know, a game or a clip or anything. But, you know, one of the things that I do, even as a dad, you know, with the girls is I get up, you know, we're on the West coast, right? So games start at four 30 in the morning out here. Yeah. So it's it's very, very early. <laughs> but one of the things I do is I just try to always have a game on in the background. Um, I subscribe to ESPN plus, and, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about that app is they have so many collegiate, uh, women's and female games, uh, for the girls to be able to watch. And then for them to be able to watch the NWSL, you know, when the, the season's going on as well. And I think it's, it's really, really good for, as a dad of girls, I think it's so great for, to have that option for them to be able to watch other women play the sport is, is really a positive thing. Well, now you can um, take them to a live girls. game, right? Angel. City. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Wave is, wave is coming, man. And all the, all the stars are aligning to be down here, you know, 20 minutes from the house. So they're pretty pumped wow. about that. Awesome. Um, you know, you talked about being at the United soccer coaches convention this last week. Um, I imagine that, you know, there are some some things there that kind of raise eyebrows and some things that kind of furl the eyebrows, uh, even with someone who is uh, so well experienced um, in being around coaching and the conversations around coaching as you are. I mean, I wonder if you might be able to share a couple a couple really uh, inspired um, and instilled like a greater sense of hope of where we're heading as, uh, you know, coaching growing in our country and some areas that you kind of see for concern uh, there as well. Well, I, I think the, the, the area that I uh, would like to see us head into is uh, where coaches have this, and, and I think it's being discussed more and more, is this balance of having uh, free play and then teaching. You know, and you, you talked about it uh, near the top of uh, our, our conversation where the, uh, you know, just talking about, you know, you see some people do uh, – jumping jacks and then throw a ball out with 10 year olds and just let them play. And that's their training session. You know what? That's not a bad training session. If it's one out of three or four that week. And the example I'll give you, and this is where, uh, and, and, and I, I would like to talk about parent education. I don't know if this is going to be directly answering your question. Bring it. Yeah, let's go. it anyway. yeah. Noodle. It's fine. The, um, you know, parents, uh, they are paying money. Pay to play is here to stay. That's never going to change. Okay, so I'm sure everybody understands yeah. that. But if they don't, they fight it, or it's it's not happening. Not happening. So parents are pay paying whatever two grand, three grand, fifteen, whatever they're paying. 
And uh, and that's just tuition. That doesn't include travel. So right. there are expectations, but they don't understand. So I had a, a, a fellow uh, coach tell me a story about they would have um, like Friday night pickup soccer, you know, just pick up, you know, and this is, you know, part of the, their training curriculum for this particular age group and this particular team. And the parents observing this um, were, uh, were complaining about it because there wasn't a coach putting codes down. There wasn't all, there wasn't instruction. And their, their problem was like, well, what are we paying you for if you're just letting them just play without talking to them? So this is, this is a problem, but this is where the education comes in. So you solve that pretty easily. And for the parents that don't want to buy in, go find another club. I have no problem with that. But uh, one thing I did along the way, I didn't do it at first. You know, at first when you're young, you don't want the parents anywhere near you. That's young coaches go through that all the time. Yeah. But yeah. what you learn, Fresh is meat. Yeah. you need them to be part of the part of the team. You really do. And uh, it took me a while to learn that, but, but and now I have, and um, my parents very much understand what I'm doing. And I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why. One is you always have a preseason meeting. Uh, and you do that with the intention of making them feel more comfortable with what you're doing. And what I learned one year, I was on the road with my team. And so I'd get a room and I got these, uh, you know, these quick gold sticky charts that you can put on the wall. I, my, one of my favorite things, cause you can draw on them and everything. So I had all these things, you know, getting ready for a game, a team meeting and, and the parents came in and ate their meal in the same room. So one of the mothers uh, after the you know meal, we're all milling around and I, and I see her up, you know, like looking at these sheets and looking at the, you know, the different things that I put up there. So she called me over and she asked me a couple things like, what's this, what's this? And so I told her and she, and then another parent came and then another. So there's like three of them hovering. And th then they asked me, you know, I was like, could you, could you do this with us? You know, like, like you did with the players. And I'm thinking, you know, that's light bulb time. It's like, yeah, of course I can. And then I'm yeah. thinking to myself, wow, if they feel somehow empowered or they, they, you know, there's a little bit more of what they know, a couple of things. And this is what I told them too while I was going through this is that I don't want to hear you on the sideline talking about anything they're doing in terms of how they're playing because you don't know what we talked about. Now you know a little bit more of what we talked about, so you'll have a little bit more knowledge going in. Yeah. That – um that, uh, you know, that I only started doing like 10 years ago. And okay. so I learned it late, but I mean, that made me closer to my teams. And I had, I'm telling you, other than you get a wacky parent every now and then, but other than that, I have no, I have no parent problems. I have none. And part of it is my early communication. Part of it is seeing and seeing something going on with a kid or maybe even seeing the face of a parent after a game. And don't leave it at that, man. Go get them. Go get yeah. them because you've already developed this relationship early on. So, right. you know, the, the, the standard line is, you know, you could talk to me, but you can't talk to me about playing time. I, you know, I, if the kid is troubled by it, is crying, is not sleeping, you know, whatever's going on, you can talk about playing time with a parent. You can, of course you can, but you, right. you just have to, you have to temper the conversation and take yeah. the temperature of, of everybody involved. So I think that's, you know, Parents are always are always seen as the problem, but uh, without them, you know, 
you, you don't survive as a club and, and as a coach. So yeah, why as a coach, you- I imagine, you know, parents would be the number one, they'd be your biggest advocate. I think at the end of the day, you know, when I you can't talk about, I, when you talk about recruiting, you want, you don't want to have to go act. You don't want to go in a parking lot afterwards. You know, if, if my parents do, you know, what do I, and I haven't told them to then, well, whatever, you know, right. cause they could ultimately be your recruiters, you know? Yeah. No good deed goes unpunished, right? Like if you're doing a great job and the parents believe in what you're doing and they see their kid enjoying the game and growing and development growth looks a thousand different directions, right? But they're engaged. You know, I would think that most parents want their kids to be in that environment. You know, no kid wants to feel like they're going to practice and they hate it or they don't like the coach or they don't think the coach believes in them or that, you know, they're, they're, they're parroting what the parents are saying to each other, gossiping on the sidelines, um, and it's yeah, really, and coaches don't, aren't, they don't, uh, my daughter, eight years old, uh, you know, eight years old. Okay. Do everybody hear that? Eight years old. And the coach that she played for, uh, would not put her into games, um, uh, in, in situations where the score was close. Like she get her a few minutes in the first half maybe at the start of the second half, but if it's one nil, nil one, you know, anywhere two one, anywhere in there, she's not playing at the end of the game. Smart. Kid. At eight years old. Smart at eight years kid, old. Though. She comes to me and goes, I never play when it counts. Mm. I said, I see that too. So um, I knew the coach again, a young guy and, you know, just enthusiastic, but wants to win. And, and my daughter's not a horrible player, but she wasn't athletic. Ah, she didn't right. have the same athleticism as some of the others. So, <laughs> Uh, we talked to him and, and it, it got better, but um, it really, it, it disgruntled her and she ended up moving, you know, to another club where it was, it was a little less level, but she mm-hmm. was almost, as long as she showed up and worked hard, she was going to play. So, right. You know, that was what Which, she wanted. Yeah. And that's what most kids want. They just want to play. Yeah. They want it. They want, you know, most of it, you know, especially as a father of girls, you know, a lot, there's a lot of the social component. You know, um, in it, you know, I'm in Southern California where it's incredibly competitive. I've talked about it on our show before. I said, you know, within 20 minutes, I can I can drive and go to 30 different clubs in San Diego. Like it's just it's so saturated here. Um, But, you know, there's been teams my daughter has been on where, you know, there's a roster of 14. And at the end of the season, seven of the kids are getting cut, whether they won every game or lost every game. You know, because that's just the methodology. And it's hard when you've got kids and they're developing friendships and they're developing relationships to, you know, to cut those things off is is really unfortunate to do to kids. Talking about parent education, you know, one of the things that we are developing on our app and one of the things that we're working on, you know, Glenn, we had a we had a tournament down in December here in San Diego called Coronado Cup. Uh, it's literally it's Coronado Cup. Coronado is absolutely stunning. It's it's yeah. personally for our family. It's our favorite tournament to go to every year. But but what we did is we took kind of our app and we did it. We we kind of created like a, a half sheet of uh, stat gathering uh, content, uh, and we just gave it to parents on the sideline. And we just said, hey, if you wouldn't mind just you know gathering one one or two stats during this game, we'd really love to see how you interact with it and what how it it you know what your interaction with it is watching your kid and watching the game. I had more conversations with parents. Uh, you know, post game briefing that said, you know, I just usually watch my kid play, but I, I don't know how to watch soccer. I don't know how to watch the game, but I learned more about what I should be watching for by just being more engaged in the whole, like, uh, softening my gaze, you know, to just not just narrowly look at a tree, but to look at the forest here and, and to learn how to actually watch the game. And, and I almost wonder, you know, what, 
what we're doing at, you know, as a club sport and as, you know, um, a growing sport in this country and the professional level as well to, to help people learn um, how to watch the game. What tools have you seen? I've got a couple that I can think of for my generation that have been amazing tools to teach people the game. But what do you think are some of the most effective tools to help parents learn how to watch the game, learn how to understand what they're seeing? Well, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but I, I think my whiteboard method is, is pretty good. And maybe you don't just do it once, but you have two or three meetings during the course of whatever length your season is. But the yeah. other side of that, the other thing you could add to it, because why not, even though they're beginners, let's say many of them, but many of them also have played the game. You know, we're getting more uh, to that Second level generation, where, yeah. where the men and the women, uh, you know, their kids, uh, you know, the, the fathers and mothers have, have played the game a little bit or, or a lot, you know, and they, uh, which sometimes they maybe they feel puts them on a pedestal of knowledge, but that's not necessarily so when it comes to coaching. If you haven't coached, it's a, it's a bit of a different ball game or, or been in a teacher role. You know, if you're in front of a classroom and instructing, you know, that's different than you, you do have certain experiences that way. But, uh, and we use huddle, uh, you know, I, that's a product a lot of people use. There's all different kinds. And I think it's so easy to develop clips that I would bring, if you're talking about parents specifically, and maybe we could merge this along with your app, but uh, actually, you know, showing clips of situations that you know, you know will occur in a game. Like, you know, if you play a certain way and your right back is getting into the attack and that if somebody doesn't rotate into the position that they vacated, that you now are vulnerable in that area, maybe you just set up that whole scenario and now they've learned something about it. You know, hopefully they won't shout for the sideline to tell the center back to rotate into that spot, but at least you know they will. They still can't instruct, but they yeah. can privately understand. And then at halftime, they have a discussion about what they saw. So yeah. I think, uh, film could be a, an excellent way, and you have, but you have to set it up. You have to organize it, and right. why not? Why not a classroom for parents? You know how yeah. I, I could tell you how much they dig that. You know they dig it. You know it's like, it's. I mean the the response I got every year I did it. Most of the time was like, well, nobody ever did this before. I said, look, I'm not trying to say you know I'm special. I'm just saying that I learned that this is a good way for for the parents and the coach to have a better relationship. So that you understand yep. what's going on. You understand right. what I'm trying to do in, in terms of teaching your kid and, and giving them a, a, a great experience. And it's not just the tactics. It could be right. it could be other things that you're doing, you know, whether it's off the field meeting, meetings, how you're team building, you know, what, the different things you're doing there. Do you think that's challenge? Like, what do you think are some of the big challenges, though, for coaches to be able to be more engaged like that? Do you think that it's because – most coaches are by or tri vocational, you know, they've got three or four jobs, three or four teams. And then frankly, you know, the pay is what it is and they're not able to, you know, we don't have a lot of, especially on the youth side, if you're not a director, you know, or head or, or like a charge of a boys Academy or girls Academy. I mean, a lot of people aren't full time. So yeah. do you think that that's kind of a big part of it, you know, in the pay structure that's there, or do you think it's just really just inspiration? Well, let's just put it this way: if if you're you're looking to be rich, you don't coach soccer. That's the, you right. don't do that as a profession. So I, you know, I, the money side of it, you know, I then it's not right for you. I mean, if if you're doing three jobs, 
look, I guess I'm doing five jobs now. I'm, I'm freelance, you know. I, sure, I, yeah. I put I put myself in that own in in that that you know I did that to myself. So, but you know, it's uh, I don't think the money should be um, the issue if you're in the profession of, of of teaching children and and helping families. Then I, I think, and now with the uh, with the fascinating Zoom that we have all learned how to use, sure. um, that's less of, uh, you know, you don't have to go to the Starbucks and have a meeting now or, or wherever it is, which is, I, I would always, there was a, uh, you know, the coffee shop was close to the practice field. So, you know, that's where I'd have all my meetings, you know, back to back to back, you know, whatever. But now I, you know, better for everybody, we could just do yeah. a Zoom call, you know? Yeah. So I don't, I think uh, you can figure these things out without, claiming that I don't have the time. I really believe that if, if you're going to be involved with it, you know, if you're going to be involved with it, man, put in the time. Yeah. Circling back to what uh, we had asked, uh, I'd asked previously about the coaches convention. Um, what, what's maybe one conversation or one technique or one uh, product that you saw out there that really piqued your interest that got you pretty excited about it that you can share with us? Well, it's a product that I was already familiar with, but I, uh, I really am a big proponent of it as I've learned more and more as we go along and they develop it. Uh, the tool is called uh, the company's player maker. And the tool is these um, you put these two uh, little devices like clips mm -hmm. on each of your boots, each of your cleats. It's completely unobtrusive. Uh, I've talked to many players who, who wear these things and then I'll explain to you what it is briefly. Mm -hmm. And they don't, they don't, they don't even know they're wearing it. I mean, you can see the, um, there's a guy in New York city FC, Tati Castellanos who played with the under 23 Argentinian national team. They wore them. And what it does is it registers every touch. So it's right and left. And the two things I like more than anything, and depending on what age you're coaching, but you always want your players to consider being more two-footed. So if somebody's really dominant with one, you can really see and you can show them, oh, you can do a 90-minute training session. Don't say anything. Put these things on. Training session over, download it. By the time they get home, you can call them up, have a conversation, or the next time you meet, and just talk about the fact that they had 152 touches with their right two with their left, we need a better balance. But here it is, you know, right. here it is. Right. Now the thing, take that, and now that is able to, uh, now I'll mention another product, Huddle again, but you yeah. can, the player maker and the Huddle can coordinate in a way where you can see every touch. So mm -hmm. a game or a training session, if you're, uh, you film it, uh, and then you have the Huddle clips, you can somehow, I don't, the technical part of this, Believe me, I don't know, uh, you know, sure. software and all that, you know, smarter people than uh, myself, but uh, it works. And so that's exciting to me because it also monitors speed of play, like one and two touch football, which so you can tell how and it, it, it can tell how quickly the balls released from the foot. So there's some really interesting analytics. And that's just a that's just a base coverage of, uh, of that right. product. So that's the one, you know, I saw them, I, I hung with them a little bit. I, I saw a little bit more about it. And, you know, so that, I guess that was the one that uh, I thought was pretty cool, but there's yeah. a bunch of them. And there were a lot of, you know, VO, Speedio. Yep. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of them out there right now. Uh, B pro uh, talk to those boys, uh, you know, pretty friendly with them. Good guys. 
these these things all have uh, some um, some interesting aspects. Mostly, you, we talk about the parents earlier. All these all these different companies now have figured out, uh, and some ahead of others. But uh, the stationary camera, the fixed camera, where you don't need somebody to film the game. Right. It's got right. a computer sensor in there. It can follow the ball. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Makes it a lot easier, right? Yeah. Wearable technology, I think, over the course of the next few years is going to be something that's going to be massive uh, just from a data standpoint. Um, and I, I think it's it's where the sport should go. But it also, again, uh, more information, more data just helps us really keen in on, on how players are developing. I, I tell my kids all the time, like, even God gave Messi a left foot and a right foot. And I expect you to use them both. Like, that's just the way it goes in the game. Like, um, you know, uh, well, you know it helps with, the, you know, just if you're looking to yeah. play college or pro or, you know, you, you figure out the different tools where you can get some measurements that, you know, if somebody can't see you in person, you have the clip package you can send and then you, you can you can um, you can buttress it with these uh, different data points where people can right. see that, uh, wow, they're this kid's pretty good. I, I need to go out and, you know, that's how college coaches sometimes determine whether they're going to go out and see somebody in person. It used yep. to be they, they, you send the VHS tape and you have to sit there and watch the whole damn game and and, and not be able to see the numbers and all right. this kind of thing. But it, the things have improved since then. What were, um, what were some of the things that you saw at the convention that it's, you know, and you don't have to name names or organizations because um, I don't, you know, I don't need you to get in trouble in any way, shape or form. But what are the things that, that through the years in your experience that you continue to see over and over that just same old business as usual. And, you know, for some reason, you know, things are just not going to progress because, you know, these, these elephants are deciding that they're not going to move in this room. What are some of the things that you see kind of there that you're like, gosh, these are the things that need to change in here. I think it's more, uh, look, with these people who do the, uh, let's talk about the on-field sessions, and it could even be the classroom sessions. Yeah, I think coaches go into these um, these sessions and, you know, they want the world turned upside down. They want, you know, they want uh, all these new, they, they want to learn new methods and this. And, you know, and, and I'm sure, you know, if you listen closely to anybody who presents you can pick up something. It might be the way they describe something, which, and they do it exactly the same way you do, but they use different words to describe how to maybe do an exercise and that'll resonate and go like, wow, that's more effective communication of my player, something like that. But uh, too often I'll um, overhear coaches coming out of a session and saying, uh, oh, I've seen that before, or I've done, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I think it's less, you know, the, the management or, the, or the, the people who are instructing or, or the different things we're seeing and more the, um, and I think it's getting better, just I think the whole coaching fraternity is improving in this manner, but that's listening, listening and observing. And if I could take my favorite quote of all time from John Wooden, it's uh, what you learn after you know it all that counts. So anyone that comes out of that session and is complaining about, you know, the lack of, you know, quality information, you know, the lack of new information, you know, I, I didn't learn anything there. You know what? I'm, I can almost guarantee you that they didn't watch or listen to it close enough to come away. That Now, yeah. are there sessions sometimes that are, that just fail? There are because maybe the players can't do what the coach is trying to do. You know, those kinds of things happen. That's a real pressurized situation. You got an hour 
to to prove your point, you know, in in, in one of these sessions. So, yeah, um, that um, and once again, I'm not sure if that answers your question. Uh, no, it does. Yeah. It does because there there is there is definitely you know one of the things we've talked about on the show with the other guests that we've had. Um, and I'll ask you this question that you'll get to answer. So I'll give you a couple seconds, of, a minute, minutes to think about it as we get ready to wrap up. I, mean, I, I ask people week in and week out, you know, if you could wave a wand and you could change one thing about how we're doing soccer in this country, anything where you could change it and it would either immediately improve, immediately be implemented. You know, what would you what would you improve? The so far, the majority response is coaching in our country like the level of coaching. Um, and I think that because of the fact that we are such, we have such, you know, as Alexi Laws talks about all the time, like an inferiority complex in regards comparing ourselves to the rest of the world. And we're rather a young country or uh, at least on the men's side and the women's side, obviously we're, we shot off like a rocket before everybody else did because of the college program. Um, but I see that time and time again, that um, people feel that, uh, we have an inferiority complex. And so, you know, only if it's a new idea, is it valid, you know, and that sometimes the things that are old ideas are actually tested by time and are not subject to culture and they actually supersede it. And those are the things we have to kind of rely on and should rely on a little bit more. Well, it's, it's fundamental. So uh, Peter Vermees, the sporting KC head coach, sporting director and, uh, Robin Frazier uh, out at Colorado, the head coach, uh, <laughs> were two of my guests on the uh, coaching academy on Sirius XMFC uh, over the course of the year. And we spoke just about this. And uh, Vermees said it quite clearly. I mean, his quote was essentially slight paraphrasing. Uh, Our coaching in this country is not good enough. Yeah, And he was referring more to the youth level and the fundamentals, because I was telling a story that I was discussing with Robin Frazier with him uh, about one, two defending pressure and then cover. And that how Robin Frazier was saying that he has these younger players, but sometimes even veteran players who don't know how to close down properly, who don't know how to play cover defense, the one, two defending. And he said, we, Robin Frazier was saying, we work on this all the time. Because it's, you know, you have to do it not just with youth players, but you have to do it with professionals. You have right. to remind it. So when we say, uh, when Peter Vermees says, you know, our coaches aren't good enough in our country, he's referring to the fact that they, they want to go do other things rather than get the, um, get some of the mundane stuff done and right. do that properly. Right. And so uh, I think that's, that's what I would point to also. And I, I think, uh, and this has been, this is not a unique thought either, but you know, how we should reverse in clubs, you know, your, your best trainer should be at the U12 and U13 level, not at the U19 level, you know, yeah. and I think, you know, we have that backwards sometimes, but there's a lot of different philosophies on coaching within clubs. I know the San Jose earthquakes, they, uh, they don't stay with their age group. You know, they, they come in, they have different teams. They have different teams. So if it's a U13 coach, they coach the U13s. They move up a year. And, um, you know, again, this is not unique or unusual, but but different clubs have different ways they want to proceed. And right. uh, it's, um, you know, so, yeah, coaching does need to improve. The, the other point I'd make, uh, and the thing I think uh, in terms of improvement, 
uh, in our country. And I, I see there, there seems to be a trend and that's where players get their coaching badges while yep. they're playing, you know, and I'm, it doesn't have to just be a pro player. Uh, it could be a youth player. Uh, and uh, it's so vital if for someone who, who is planning to continue that as a career or thinks that this is where I want to stay. This is, I want to be in that, in that, that soccer framework in some capacity and they have a, you know, people decide they want to coach at different times of their lives. But the number one players should get their licenses because number one, you become a better player because now you're thinking about the game like a coach. You yeah. gotta be, you become a better, every player that's taken their license and badges while they're playing all say the same thing. Absolutely. Plus they have a, a, a greater, ability to reflect and, and understand what their coach is going through, you know? So right. I, I think it's that that's what I would like to see, whether it's mandated, I wouldn't mind seeing it mandated by clubs clubs come up with the funding in some particular way so that all their coaches can get at least or players rather can get at least a basic license. Yeah. And it's, uh, that would contribute mightily to our game. Well, let me ask you. So, with that too, you know, one of the things my, my girls are about ready to be of age to kind of entering the refereeing program. And I also oh, see yeah. that as something that would be really valuable for them. And going back to parent education, you know, it would be wonder, wonderful if, if every single youth team in the country had to have one parent on the sideline, just one, that at least was at a, at a basic level, li a licensed referee. You know what I mean? That just knew and could uh, be a liaison and to kind of understand what's going on. But also, you know, for my own girls, it's a great way to make a buck on the weekends. But Absolutely. at the same time, it, it also teaches them how to see the game and how to see the game from, again, we talked about it earlier, from a different position on the field. Whether it be the sideline or with a flag in your hand or a whistle or a different position on the field. One thing that's really important, I think, for everybody who's involved around the game and development is to experience some of those different avenues. One, one of my one of my funnest experiences in my life was coaching my daughters, you know, their first few years of soccer on the rec side. We had so much fun. And they look back at that as being the most fun they ever had, you know, with soccer. It was such a great bonding experience. And I want that for other parents as well. So would that be, you know, we talked about waving the Glenn Crooks wand over soccer in this country. Would that be the one thing that you would think that, would cause the biggest impact that you would love to see the, you're talking about referee getting a referee no no coaching like coaching job well I'll, i mean here, oh, I'll I'll ask you question. yeah no but yeah. I, I think the refereeing uh badge is is also important and like yeah I, my daughter did it um but you know and this story has been told by people along the way here's a 10 year old girl uh, doing an eight-year-old boys game wreck uh here in east brunswick and um, the coach on the sideline uh, for one of the teams was this big guy, and he was belligerent and, and was yelling at her during the whole match. Handball, you know, all this stuff. She's crying at halftime. I'm seeing her at halftime. And um, that was the last game she ever refereed, even though they were handing her $25 to do. I said, Morgan, please, you have to – let's just – let's – Let's keep trying it. You, I, and I understand it, but you have to somehow consider the source. But that's another yeah. parent education thing. We have well, it's coaching the, education. That coach should be suspended from coaching for a couple of years if that's how he's going to do it. Yeah, but it's just a parent. Yeah, he should. Oh, yeah. It's just a yeah. parent that came in to do it. And, right. You know, and that's, uh, but the, we have, there's a dearth of officiating in the, I mean, there's a massive shortage of not just quality referees, but referees, period. With a pulse. And, yeah. And you want, 
and you want players to be refereeing so that maybe that's another, yeah, they get a little cash in their pocket. And that's fantastic. But like you said, they get an understanding of the game. But I think even more importantly, Jason, is that just like I said, when if you get your coaching badge, you understand what your coach is going through now. You get an idea what the referee's going through. And you know yep. you're going to get a harsh word along the way. Any, any young referee that thinks that there's not going to be something happening – even if everybody's trying to be on their best behavior, you're going to get yelled at every now and then. So, uh, but this was over the top, this, this guy who I, by the way, brought my daughter after the game to him and said, look, she's really upset. I'm sure you got emotional and I understand, but you can't, you know, we don't have enough referees, especially female referees. We don't have right. them. He got, right. and he started saying, but it was a handball. And it was like, okay, this guy, it's just not going to happen. And that was the last game she ever officiated. It's, oh it was a, gosh. It was like a dark day for me. I was like, come on, man. It's, but, it's hor yeah. horrendous behavior, right? Um, well, two two last things. One, I, I want to get to that question, you know, where I, I want to hear what you what in your, you know, from your heart and your passion, what you'd love to see change. But <clears throat> one of the one of the shows that you had on the coaching corner that really impacted me a ton was when you had John Gordon on, uh, who wrote book training camp and things like that. And I listened to that interview. Uh, I bought the book while I'm listening to you on Sirius XM interviewing him. And I actually read it during dinner time with my family. Um, and I just want to say thank you, you know, for always, uh, on your show, looking for those people that are going to be really adding, uh, positive contributions to the conversation, uh, that we're having at the dinner tables of America around the game. So I tip my cap and just say, thank you for that because it was, it was a fantastic book. You know, there were times where we got super emotional reading it, following along the story about this NFL player in camp and, and his whole experience there. Uh, but that inter interview really, really impacted me. And it kind of really, uh, endeared me to, uh, the, I think the passion behind your show. So I'll, I'll ask you in closing, well, that's wonderful you know, to hear. you should let yeah. John, you should let John know that too, because even okay. though he's got all these followers and every other thing, he's a good guy. You know, he would really yeah. appreciate hearing from you. Okay. Well, for, fair enough. I, I will do that. Um, so Glenn, you know, you are just being given right now, you know, a magic wand to be able to, to, to change one thing about the, the way soccer is in this country today. And, um, and I just would love to put that to you that what would be the one thing that you would love to see changed? Well, if it was possible and I just don't think it is, but if it were possible and I had this wand, uh, I would like, and I've always thought this, it would be great if the elite players, which is like less than 1%. Okay. In our country on, on the girl side or the boys side, if, if the elite players could train and play against each other in different regions of the country on a regular basis, or if a kid is in a club and then this other, uh, I don't want to call it a club, it would be this other group uh, within the region met maybe once a week even where these players could go up against each other. And I, I do think the best training against the get best and then the best playing against the best is – is is one of the uh, important parts of development but the majority of players in our country are of that 99 percent where they might have they some of them might have pro aspirations but it's not going to happen and the the next level for them more often than not is the collegiate level or they just want to they've got the passion of the game that they just want a part of their lives, you know, for, for their children after they uh, pack it in and whatever it might be. So I just wish that somehow the, the top clubs in every region could sort this out 
so that we would we would we would have that as a possibility. It doesn't. I, I think there's been some hybrids of that, uh, and that's the first thing that comes to mind when when you mm -hmm. ask that, Jason, because that's that's something I've asked people about all across the country, and and, and to uh, to allow your three best players to go train with the four best players down the street and, and the other three best players, you know, 30 miles North and, 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 and have them taken away and trained by someone else, you know, there's a, there's a reluctance to that. Uh, so right. in this large country of ours, as we try to figure out how, uh, how we can sort things out, I always thought that that, that regional approach, and it's not going to work in every region perfectly because some regions, you know, uh, in the Midwest are different than here in the, in the Northeast where I am, where, you know, there's 30 clubs, you know, like you were saying, you got 30 clubs in a 20 mile radius. And, uh, but, and I know it's not like that in some pockets, you know, and some people will, will struggle with it a little bit to, to, to make it happen. But uh, you know, if we could, if we could get something like that going, uh, but it's, it's, it's difficult because it, uh, it, it, there's a lot of people that have to get together and agree to it before it can happen, you know, but yeah. Hey, but U.S. soccer president, U.S. So you know, the P U.S. soccer is the federation. You know, that's where they're that's where leadership can really um, become an important factor. And you have to work hard at it and you have to get people to find someone they trust. So that that's a that's a big thing. And I, and I wish uh, I wish that futsal was more a part of the fabric of our development. And uh, because I think uh, it, it's rather than just playing like where you are, you're in San Diego. So you can play every day, 356 days and never have to probably go inside, you know, but I think having different environments to play in and futsal, you know, the different developmental items there and yep. it's a little, you know, keeping the passion and the fun of the game. You know, I, I wish that futsal was, uh, and I'm beginning to learn more about it and, and, and featured a little bit more on my show too. And, you know, like you've heard a lot about street soccer and, and free play and, you know, it's kind of in that same realm with me is like, you know, all the, all the guys I know that were, uh, are of like my age or, or a little younger growing up, you know, they just played pickup. They just yeah. played pickup. It was all prior to super clubs and all these different things. You know, you played for your local club team and you got up in the morning, you played at lunchtime, you played and at night you played until your mom called you in for dinner. You know I mean? That was how a lot of people played and developed and right you know, can we blend that a little bit better? I, I believe we can over time. Um, Glenn, thank you so much for your time today. What a, what an absolutely fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for your contribution today. Um, and, uh, I would love to be able in the future to have you back on the show and, you know, I'll be listening on Sirius XM and, and just appreciate, um, your voice in the space of trying to be a, a positive, uh, force of change with all your, your wealth of knowledge and experience. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. And uh, we really appreciate being on the show today, Glenn. Well, thank you and good luck with the app. And when you've got it all secure and working and functioning, you make sure you let me know and then you'll be a guest on SiriusXMFC. That sounds great. I love it. Thanks so much, Glenn. Enjoy the rest of your day, sir.